So for the past month, uh, actually probably a little over a month, we've been uh, going through the series Dive Deeper, where we've been taking these big ideas of the Christian faith that we don't often get to talk about, uh, and we've been diving a little bit deeper into them to try to understand what they're all about. Uh, We've talked about the Trinity, we've talked about creation, the church, the Bible, some really great things, Um, and today we're going to continue on in that. Uh, Today, uh, I'm really excited to share with you this morning. Um, I think the topic that we're going to talk about this morning is so important for us to to understand well. I think uh, that this is a topic that is especially important to understand well in the world we find ourselves in. Today we're going to be looking at two major Christian concepts, uh, two things that are both, that both of which are essential to our Christian lives, two things that are at the very core of what it means to be Christians, but unfortunately two things that in many places we've confused very badly. So today what we're going to look at are, are two big Christian words, the words justification and sanctification. An easier way to remember that is salvation and godly living. Justification being salvation and godly living being sanctification. Now I get it that to many of you this may not seem like a very exciting thing to talk about. But I think if you stick with me, you may be surprised about how important these two things are and how much of an impact they can have on the way we interact with the world. So what we're going to do today is we're going to begin by defining what the two words mean. What does justification mean and what does sanctification mean? There may be people out here, out here who've never heard either of those two words before and have no idea what they mean and why they're relevant. And then we're going to end the message today like we have with all the messages inside of this series and talk about why does it matter? What's the so what? So we can know what these two things are, but why does that matter? So that's where we're going today. You ready? Uh, To get started, we're going to look at Romans 4. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, I want to invite you to turn to Romans 4. Uh, We're going to be starting at verse 23, actually halfway through verse 23. Kind of the context of this passage here is is that Paul is talking about Abraham at first and how God credited righteousness to Abraham because of his faithfulness. But this, this passage actually gives us a great insight into both what it means to be justified and what it means to be sanctified. So we're going to begin at verse 23, half about halfway through that verse. And it reads like this. The words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So like in many places in Romans, this is a dense section of verses. Romans is tough to work through. If you read through it before, there are sections that you really have to think about and chew on. And we'll do that this morning. Uh, There may be things that will be left on the table this morning where you're saying, I still don't understand what this all means. That's fine. Um, I hope that we can continue to grow in that 
Talk to somebody about it. Talk about it at your dinner table. Talk about it with an elder or with me or, or Tony or whoever, whatever you, uh, you find to talk to. So first, this passage begins by talking about what it means to be justified. And if you were to look at the dictionary definition of justification, it would read like this. It says, justification is the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. It's the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. It's the event by which you are saved. You see, when humanity fell, we were no longer righteous in the sight of God. We were not faultless. We were guilty, unrighteous, and sinful. And in that place, there was nothing that we could do to become righteous in God's eyes again. Because everything that we do is tainted by sin, therefore cannot be the process by which we're made right again. But as we proclaimed in our song this morning, and we talked about it in many different places already this morning, Jesus, however, was different. He was sinless. And as Romans in chapter 425, which we just read, says, he was delivered over to death for our sins. Those same sins that kept us from being made right with God, he was given over for those and raised to life for our justification. You see, Jesus paid the debt that we owed. He was righteous where we were not, where we could not be. And he was righteously sacrificed for our sins. And now his righteousness, what he did, has been credited to us who believe in him. All the good things that Jesus does has done, that he did for us, have been credited to us, so now that when God sees us, we're sinless. Now realize that that crediting, that giving of that sinlessness is not because of anything that we have done. If you look back at the definition here, God is the agent. It's the action of declaring or making righteous. God declares us to be righteous. He's the actor. He's the one in charge. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, God declares us righteous, not based on nothing that we do. Isaiah tells us, that our sins are as red as crimson. But Jesus washes them white as snow. You see, we don't earn our justification. We cannot achieve it. It is given to us. It's given to us when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. We see that also in John 3.16. It says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Belief in Jesus Gives justification. Sin without Jesus damns us. It keeps us from heaven. It separates us, God from, separates us from God forever. But with Jesus, that sin is erased. We're washed clean. We're justified. We're made right with God again. A great way to remember what justification means is the phrase, just as if I've never sinned. And this, this moment, the moment in which we make Jesus our Lord and Savior and we're washed white as snow, is the beginning of our Christian life. The Bible describes it as our rebirth or our new life. And it's important to remember that, that when we accept Jesus, that is the beginning of our Christian life. We talked about justification first this morning because the second part of our message when we talk about sanctification isn't possible without it. Unless we accept this first, we can't do the other part. 
Our Christian lives begin with salvation. They begin by accepting Jesus is who he says he is and he desires to be with us. It begins by accepting the gift offered to us by his death and resurrection. Because when we've accepted that gift, we are declared righteous and our damnation sin is washed away. But we all know that the conversation on sin, the conversation of being sinful doesn't end there. Because honestly, how many of us have conquered sin in our lives? Be none of us, right? How many of us don't struggle each and every day with sin? And yet many of you, maybe even most of you, probably most of you, have already made Jesus the Lord of your life. So when we continue to talk about sin, we realize that, we are justif- that though we are justified, though that our damnation sin has been washed away, we are far from perfect. Though we are declared righteous in God's eyes, our actions are far from righteous in this world. And that shouldn't surprise us, right? It's all throughout Scripture. We see over and over again the Bible calls us to take seriously our rebirth in Jesus and work every day towards living more and more like him through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is, what is, which is the idea of sanctification. So if we looked at the definition of sanctification, sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more and more holy. Essentially, it's each of us working to become more like Christ. Justification is just as if we hadn't sinned. Sanctification is working to become like Jesus, to become more and more holy every day. But as justification is an instant, when we accept Jesus, we're made righteous. Sanctification takes your entire life. It's something that you work your way through. Now, before we can continue to understand sanctification, we need to ask ourselves a really important question first. Because in order for us to understand sanctification, we first need to understand why sin matters to Christians. Have you ever asked yourself that question before? Why does your sin matter if you're already a Christian? Now, it's interesting to me because it seems like that should be something that we all know right off the top of our heads. But every time I ask that question, I get a lot of different answers, and most of them aren't very confident. Because we believe that the Bible says, we just talked about it, that we're saved by grace and not by what we do, either good or bad, right? We just talked about that. So then the question then is, why does it matter if we sin after we've been saved? We've probably heard it before. Can I just ask for forgiveness and won't I be forgiven? Hasn't God offered that to me? And honestly, the answer to that is yes, if we know what we're talking about. Regardless of what we do, if we truly accept Jesus as our Savior, our salvation is secure. We just talked about that. That's justification. But the Bible gives an amazing amount of page time telling us to live lives as free from sin as possible. And we do need to understand why that is. And the answer is this. The reason the Bible tells us to live lives as free from sin as possible is because sin is destructive. It's because sin is painful. It hurts. It damages. It destroys. It perverts. It twists. It confuses. It taints the beautiful things that God has made, both human and otherwise. Even nature has been tainted by sin. You see, God has asked us to live a certain way, not because it's the determining factor of our judgment, but because he desires us to live the fullest life possible. 
Now realize, I did not say the easiest life possible. Sometimes the fullest life possible is incredibly difficult, but it is yet the fullest. We strive to live a life free from sin because it's the way to free ourselves from sin's destructive power. God's rules are not arbitrary. They aren't a measuring stick to see if we are worthy enough or good enough for salvation. No, God's rules lead us towards a fullness in life he created us to experience, and God desperately desires for you to have that life. So as we talk about sanctification, as we work to become more and more holy, what we do is we begin to work back towards the kind of life God created us to live. More free from sin each and every day, hopefully. And more full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Or in other words, more full of the Spirit and the fruits that come with that. We work daily to be sanctified so we can experience more and more of God each day. So take another look at Romans 5 with me. It says, therefore, we've already read this once, therefore we have been justified through faith. We have made, because, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have made peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we gain access by faith into grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What this passage tells us is that justification grants us peace with God. We are now seen as righteous in, the, in his eyes and therefore no longer at odds with him. After we accept Jesus, we stand in a new place. In the place of God's grace and glory, this passage tells us. And in that place, amazing, life-giving things come out of it. We see here that in, even in, in this place, even our sufferings can produce good things. That doesn't mean they're not painful. That doesn't mean they don't hurt. But it does mean that out of that, we can still find life. Later on in Romans, the same idea comes out. It says that God works out all things for the good of those who love him. And it's partnering with this verse. You see, after we've accepted justification and live within sanctification, we live within the present hope of what's to come. We live currently, right now, inside of the hope of heaven that's coming later. One of my favorite quotes is in The Great Divorce. C.S. Lewis says that those who wake up one day in heaven will look back and realize they've been there the entire time. That we've experienced bits of heaven even here and now as we move forward. And this passage tells us similarly. The passage tells us that through the, through the Holy Spirit poured into our hearts, we can experience those little bits of glory here and now. You see, God has shown us the way to live. He's shown us the path toward sanctification in which we live on this earth striving each day to bring a little bit of heaven here, to experience more and more of the fullness of God here and now as we live in the hope of heaven in part now, looking forward to the completeness that is coming. That's sanctification. So here's where we are. Justification is being made right with God, the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. 
And sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more and more holy, or essentially the lifelong process of trying to become like Christ. Which leads us to the final question, so what? Those may be nice things to know, but why does it matter? It matters a lot because, it sh- because our understanding of these two ideas shape the way that we share the gospel with the entire world. And I don't just mean evangelism. I do mean evangelism, sharing the gospel with those who don't believe, but also shapes the way that we share the gospel amongst believers. You see, the way that we share the gospel with the world hinges on our understanding of these two ideas and how we present them. If we mix them up, if we mix these two things up, the consequences can be devastating, actually. And unfortunately, in many places, we can see those consequences all around us. Now, when we're asking why does it matter, we need to realize that the, the, the how it plays itself out, how these two ideas play themselves out, depend on who we're talking with. When we're talking with believers, it plays itself out in one way. When we're talking with unbelievers, it plays, ourself, plays itself out a little differently. And we'll begin with unbelievers. When we engage with unbelievers, with people who have not yet accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we need to remember what I said just a few minutes ago. We cannot work on sanctification until we accept the justification of Jesus first. It's not going to work. If we are trying, it won't work, because even the passage that we just saw, that the change in our lives comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is poured poured out on us when we accept the justification of Jesus Christ. If we're trying to lead someone through the process of sanctification without first sharing with them the saving power of Jesus Christ, we're out of order. We've messed things up. We've done it backwards. Now, don't get me wrong. We can still do good in people's lives who don't know Jesus. Barb's story this morning is an example of that. Some of the Family Promise members may know that. Some of them may not. And we care for them and we show them the love of Jesus Christ. We care for all people, no matter what they believe or don't believe. To the least of these, we show Jesus' love. We also understand that people can improve their lives. They can do things better before or after Jesus, before, before they know Jesus. But the, well, what we're talking about here is the life-heart transformation that comes with the new birth in Jesus Christ. You see, when we engage with the world, or in other words, people who have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, we need to put the focus where it ought to be. Our message should be one of, ho- of the hope of life found through salvation in Jesus Christ. Perhaps the conversation goes something like this. John, because I love you, I want you to know Jesus. Because let me tell you what he's done in my life and those lives of the people that I've met. We share the good news, the good news of the gospel, the life found in Jesus Christ. But you see that these interactions, our primary focus needs to be on their justification or their salvation. Because if we screw that up, we open ourselves up to hypocrisy and judgmentalism and rejection. And unfortunately, in today's world, we've done that. Maybe not here, maybe here as well. But in so many places, we have demanded that people live Christian lives when they haven't even been introduced to Jesus himself. That doesn't work, right? They know who Jesus is, but they don't know him. And as a result, our message just gets rejected. Now, if I've lost any of you, 
Hopefully this can bring us back. There's a story in the Bible that may help us understand what we mean when we're talking about approaching, uh, approaching people with, from the perspective of justification rather than sanctification. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. Now, I've often wondered if the church were to tell the story of Zacchaeus, would it be very differently, different? Would we tell the story differently? I think we might. If the church were to tell the story, not just Ivan Rest, but church, as we can see in modern media or wherever we are, the story might go something like this. Remember, this is the church telling the story. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a bad guy. He stole from people. He took more than he ought to. He robbed people. He cheated them. He probably damaged hurt people, made them starve, wrecked families, whatever he, whatever he did. He didn't care. That's the way he lived. He was hated by many people around him. But one day, this guy Zacchaeus hears about this person named Jesus and decides he wants to go check him out. But there's a big crowd around Jesus, so he can't get to him, so he climbs up in a tree. Now, if the church was telling the story, this next part might go like this. So Jesus sees him in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, you're kind of a bad dude. You've ripped people off, you've stolen, you're still doing that. And so, I've got a deal for you. Here are five things that I'm going to need you to improve on. I need you to fix those five things. I'm going to come back in a week or two. I'm going to check to see how you're doing. And if you've done well enough, then you can join me and we'll have some dinner. Yes, you see, I think that us as a church have sometimes done that. That when people come to see if they can catch a glimpse of Jesus, we've offered them a list of things to do first. Fix this, do that, take care of this, make sure this is in order, and then do this, and then perhaps you can be part of us. We've demanded that people are sanctified before justified, and that just doesn't work, right? As we preach that message to the world, it says, forget that, I'm out. Because Jesus doesn't mean anything to them. But when we look at the real story of Zacchaeus, we see it play differently, don't we? Zacchaeus does go up in the tree. Zacchaeus still is a bad guy. Zacchaeus still hasn't fixed things. And yet all Jesus does is go, I know, I know you're still messed up. But let's go have dinner. Bring your friends, it'll be fun. And the interesting thing is, it wasn't a list of things that Jesus said that he had to fix first. In the meeting with Jesus, Zacchaeus changes his life entirely, doesn't he? He comes out of that meeting surrounded by other people who believe like he believes and decides that the way he's been living his life is entirely backwards and, and promises to give back four times what he's taken. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't changed because Jesus gave him a list of things to do. Zacchaeus was changed because he met Jesus. Because he got to know him, and even, even and in his case, the change came very quickly, which may not always be the case in your experience, but it came as a result of his meeting with Jesus. When we're engaging with people outside of the faith, our goal is just that, to introduce them to Jesus. We share with them Jesus' words, his story, the Bible, scripture, and we witness to his life-changing goodness by sharing, them with, sharing with them what he's done for us. We tell our stories. The Bible tells you to be a witness. To be a witness means you have to tell people what has happened to you, what you've experienced, what you've witnessed. We share with these people, the people that don't know Jesus yet, the, the good news of the gospel played out in our lives and in the lives of those we've had the privilege of seeing God work in. 
That's all we've been called to do before someone has come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We introduce them to Jesus and trust that in that meeting, just like it did with Zacchaeus, Jesus will change them. Because honestly, we know that without him, without Jesus, without his spirit, there's nothing that we can do to truly change anyone's heart. Right? When we're talking to unbelievers, we focus on justification. But remember, we said that there are two parts to this. When we're engaging with people outside of the faith, we talk about, talk about justification, but what do we do when we're ministering to people inside of the faith, to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to people who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior? So in many ways, we've messed up that top one, and ironically, we've messed up the conversation on the other side the opposite way. What I mean is, to non-believers, we've asked them to engage in the process of sanctification before they've accepted Jesus Christ, But when we engage with fellow believers, we often, either subtly or overtly, talk about their justification when we should really only be focusing on their sanctification. What that does is that it puts us in a place where we talk about our Christian lives from a place of judgment rather than care, especially in regards to sin. We look at people and evaluate how good they are as Christians judging the worthiness of the name that they've accepted. But we forget that we've already read this morning, we forget in many times that after accepting Jesus, our sin in God's eyes have been washed away, putting all of us on the same ground. We are all, all of us here, are unbelieving sinners, undeserving sinners, I'm sorry. We are all undeserving sinners who have all fallen short of the glory of God, but have all been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. When we make judgments about people, people's worthiness of the name Christian, we cheapen their justification in our minds and in the minds of others around us. And perhaps for some people may even call it into question, which is just a distraction in our Christian walks. And this, this perspective, this idea of, of looking at people's justification influences the way we interact with sin and observe our Christian brothers and sisters' lives. That was sin we observe in our Christian brothers and sisters' lives. We talked about this when we talked about judgment in Matthew 7. What it, what it causes is it causes us to either talk about sin like it's something that makes God angry with us. And I know that God gets angry about sin. That's not what I'm saying. But we talk about it in a way that God gets angry and, and so much so that he values us less. That God values us less. He sees us less than we ought to be. Or that somehow because God is angry, he withholds himself from us in some way. We we even sometimes talk about sin as something that might be evidence of us not being justified. We either go that way, where we call someone's justification into question, or because we don't want to be a hypocrite, we choose not to engage with sin at all. And And to let each person live their own life for fear that same judgment might be applied to us. Because like we looked at when we looked at Matthew 7, when we judge someone's justification based on what they do, the Bible says that measure then will be used on us, so we avoid it altogether. But you see, neither of these perspectives are helpful because we're called to do this journey of sanctification together as a community, as a body of Christ. You see, we have to engage with each other's sin issues, not because somehow their justification is at risk, not so, because not somehow their salvation is at risk. 
We engage with, the, with sin issues within our community because we desire the best for those around us. Because we love and we care about them. And we can see that sin is holding them back. We engage with sanctification as a community because we love the people around us and want to see them follow God, God's path that leads to fullness. Why do we talk to John about his greed? Because he's, we're afraid he's going to hell? No, not if he's accepted Jesus. We talk to John about his greed because we know it's holding him back from the kind of life God created him to live. And honestly, that's no different for whatever sin we choose if we're talking about believers. It's the same with greed and pride, with lust and homosexuality, with alcoholism and lying. All of those things hold us back from the kind of life that God called us to live, and that's why we engage with them. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we work together in our sin. We walk together in our sin to help remove the negative effects of it in our lives and journey together, towards, together as a community, as a body, towards the fullness of life in Christ. We proclaim the good news of the gospel. We proclaim that sin has done and is doing damage in your life, but there's a better way. That though it's hurt you or, or caused you pain or knocked you down, life is able to rise from the ashes that Jesus has already paid the price and through his experience, we can experience the fullness of life that God has promised. We proclaim the hope of sanctification because if someone has truly accepted Jesus, there's no need to continue to discuss their justification. And this perspective reorients us in our Christian conversations. It reorients us from a place of judgment where we stop declaring that we are better than someone struggling with sin and brings us into a perspective in which we can start lovingly declaring our desire to see everyone experience the life of the Spirit that we've experienced. So, as you all go out today, back to your various corners of the world, and some of, them that, some of those may be very near, some of them may be far, I want you to take these ideas with you. I want you to take these ideas with you for your life personally and for your life as a disciple of Christ. The Bible asks us to share our story with those around us. When you share your story with those who don't yet know Jesus, introduce them to him. Share your sanctification experience. Share the life that you found in the, in the way that Jesus has told us to live. Proclaim to them that there is a life experienced through the gospel that they don't know yet. And it comes through knowing Jesus. But always remember that in that meeting, that it, as you introduce them to Jesus, in the, the meeting with Jesus is what causes the change in their life, not your demanding that they change before they meet him. And as you interact with those who already know Jesus, encourage them to continue down the road to sanctification. Working together with them to remove the damaging effects of sin in both of your lives or all of your lives. Not because you're worried about whether or not they're going to heaven or hell, but because you love them and you love each other and you truly desire that all people live in the fullness of life we now have because of Jesus. Because you hope that we can all experience the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. You pray with me?
Father God, we want to first thank you so much for the gift that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We know that while we were still sinners, you came, that we didn't deserve it at all, that we don't deserve what you've done for us, the door that you've opened to us, the life that you've given to us. Uh, we don't deserve any of that, and we want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for, for, for also for the, the way that you've told us to live, the way that we can experience the fullness of life through your spirit. And we pray that as we live in that, those truths, that we can show the world in a new and better way that there is hope in the gospel, that there is life in your way, there is life in your spirit. Give us wisdom to do that well, to understand which one we're dealing with, and give us a spirit of love and peace so that when people look at the church, they see life, not judgment. We pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen. At this time, the praise team can come forward, and we'll close uh, in our final song. If you could all rise for the final song.